Hey, Plague listeners, Michael Lachlan here, America Media's national correspondent and host of the Plague podcast. So much has happened since we premiered Plague back in December 2019, and we thought it'd be a good idea to share some updates with you. We have some good news about the podcast and a brand new interview about some recent news stories that involve LGBT issues and Catholics. We also discuss some of the questions and observations a lot of you have sent in. First, the good news. Plague recently won a couple of awards. One was from the National LGBTQ Journalists Association for Excellence in Religion Reporting, and the other one was from the Catholic Press Association, snagging second place in the podcast category. Now, the awards are obviously testament to the hard work of the many people who made Plague a reality, but I think they also get at something bigger because those two organizations are very different. One promotes stories that cover the LGBT community fairly and accurately, and the other promotes stories that are important to Catholics. But they both recognize plague because of the stories of the guests that we had. Just like history, real lives are messy. We try to resist the temptation to tell you what to think about this time in history. Instead, we invited people on and asked them to tell us their stories. They show the power of these stories to break through the categories and boxes that we often use to see reality. They challenge what we believe. We received an interesting note when plague first came out. A listener wrote in to say that he appreciated the long stretches of silence that we included in the podcast. In fact, sometimes he thought the episode had just abruptly ended before the story started up again. But that was intentional. We wanted people to sit with these stories and really listen and think about how what they were hearing impacted their lives today. Another listener wrote to me that he usually listens to podcasts at the gym, but the stories and plague were so emotional he needed to find space where he could sit and be with them. He said that as a gay Catholic in his late 20s, he felt like he was actually in dialogue with the characters that we presented in Plague. Plague helped highlight an important part of the history of HIV and AIDS, one that often is misunderstood. But we wanted this to be about more than history. We wanted to start a conversation, especially about LGBT issues in the Catholic Church today. As it happened, as Plague came out, we started hearing from more and more listeners who commented on news stories today that they found lessons from plague to be helpful. Things like resources for LGBT students at Catholic schools, non-discrimination policies for Catholic workplaces, how parishes are trying to provide pastoral care for LGBT people and their families. And that's why we have this bonus episode for you today. The format's a little different than what you heard in plague. It's a conversation between me and Michael Vasquez, another gay Catholic who does religion outreach for the human rights campaign. We talk a little bit about plague, but we spend a lot of time talking about these other issues that listeners brought up in their messages to us. We spoke on June 29th. At the end of the interview, you'll hear an excerpt from another America Media podcast that I think you'll also find challenging and inspiring. It's called Deliver Us. It's hosted by my colleague, Maggie Van Dorn, and she asked the question, will the Catholic Church ever heal from the ongoing sexual abuse crisis? If you appreciate powerful testimonies, complexity, emotion, and in the end, hope, you'll definitely like Deliver Us. And one last thing, it takes a lot of resources to make podcasts like Plague and Deliver Us. Times are tough right now for a lot of people, but if you're in a position to donate, please consider supporting America Media. Your generosity helps to create podcasts like these. So visit americamag.org donate. That's americamag.org slash donate. And thanks. And now, enjoy my conversation with Michael Vasquez. 
Hello, everyone. My name is Michael Vasquez, and I am the Religion Faith Director here at the Human Rights Campaign. Welcome to our fifth installment of the series, Remaining Home in Faith. This series, which began as Coming Home to Faith in early March of this year, seeks to create a space to explore the nexus of religion, faith, and being LGBTQ. In it, we have explored what it looks like to celebrate queer expressions of faith across a diversity of religious traditions, while engaging in dialogue about the difficulties and often tragic ways LGBTQ people of faith experience life while navigating their faith communities. Today, we're sitting down with award-winning journalist Michael Laughlin of American Media to discuss his over a decade-long reporting on the LGBTQ community and the Catholic Church. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Michael. Good to be with you. I, um, I wanted to kick off uh, with a joke about two gay Catholics walking into a Zoom meeting and then realize that comedy is not my wheelhouse. So instead, we're just going to jump into some data. So back in August of 2010, you reported on the Public Religious Research Institute's data around support for marriage equality. Uh, probably one of your first pieces on the intersection of the LGBTQ community and the Catholic Church. Um, back in 2010, only a slim majority, just 51% of non-Latinx Catholics supported marriage equality, while 57% of Latinx Catholics supported equality. A decade later, the numbers are drastically different, with 63% of white Catholics and 68% of Latinx Catholics supporting marriage equality. Almost uh, just as significantly, 75% of Latinx Catholics and 74% of all other Catholics support non-discrimination protections for the LGBTQ community. You've been on this beat for over a decade now. What would you, what have you seen contributing to this growth of support amongst lay Catholics? Yeah, I have to uh, commend your reporting skills. When you sent me that article from 2010 earlier today, I was impressed because I had completely forgotten about it. So well done. Uh, yeah, it, it was, it's been an interesting decade, right? Uh, within the past 10 years, since I've been reporting on this stuff, we've seen attitudes among uh, all different religious traditions in the U.S., but Catholics especially, shift really dramatically and really quickly when it comes to LGBT issues. Uh, particularly, uh, one thing that was interesting because I started reporting on this, like you said, in 2010, was seeing how attitudes towards specifically same-sex marriage evolved in the Catholic world. Uh, you saw a gradual and then a sudden increase among support from, like you said, white Catholics, uh, non-white Catholics. And what was interesting, I remember reporting um, as a number of states sort of adopted same-sex marriage before the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, it was a lot of Catholic governors who were pushing for these laws and signing them into law. And I thought that's interesting because even uh, it, some of them weren't practicing Catholic anymore, but they kind of fit this model that I've discovered over the years that a lot of Catholics who support LGBT equality say it was actually the lessons in human dignity they learned growing up in the church that made them think about this issue and say, even if church teaching doesn't always support uh, where I am with LGBT issues, there's something about respect for the human person that kind of moves me in that direction. So I think we've seen a dynamic where Catholic teaching kind of put into action in the real world um, did move a lot of Catholics to support well, first same-sex marriage and now the debate over uh, non-discrimination, different, uh, different laws around the country. Absolutely. And what I find interesting is like some of your own personal story has brought you into this, uh, into this work and this reporting. Um, are you willing, if, I'd love to hear you share a little bit about your personal journey as a Catholic um, in exploring what the, the intersection of being LGBTQ, uh, being Catholic and seeing this shift uh, in support. Yeah, I think I mentioned in the plague podcast um, that 
for kind of as long as I can remember, I've known that I've been both gay and Catholic. And I wish I could say that it was sort of an easy reconciliation between those two parts of my identity, because uh, it feels kind of easy today. And it's easy to kind of forget that there was struggle at the time. Uh, but I have to say that uh, I, you know, I grew up in the church. I had a great experience growing up Catholic. Um, one of the first people I came out to was a monk, a Catholic monk in college who was very supportive. I've been very fortunate that I've had great priests and sisters and lay Catholics kind of support me in this journey, which I think um, there is very real pain in the Catholic world when it comes to LGBT issues. And I do a lot of reporting on those stories, but I think my experience is not wholly uncommon that there are a lot of LGBT Catholics who do find support uh, in the community. I've, I've interviewed a lot of them, um, even in the podcast series who, you know, during a very difficult time in our history, the height of the HIV and AIDS crisis, turned to their parishes for support and comfort and a place to call home. So for me, there's been moments of struggle that I think were in some ways very internalized. Uh, there are some negative messages that come from some Catholic religious leaders. Uh, and I think for young LGBT people, especially who maybe grow up in parishes where there aren't role models, from our community, it might be difficult to try to reconcile the two. But as you mature and sort of dive in a little more and kind of what I did, explore the history, um, you see that there are people who fought in this realm before who can provide the sort of, how do you do this? How do you navigate these two worlds? And I mean, efforts like yours at HRC are a good example of making sure that if you're not connected in kind of real life in a parish, that there are virtual role models as well. And I think like that's something that's been incredible to see over the last um, decade when you're seeing organizations like New Ways Ministries or younger organizations like Vine and Fig who are working diligently to create spaces, like you said, for uh, LGBTQ Catholics to engage in dialogue and figure out how do we reconcile right our sexual orientation, our gender identity, and the teachings of the church, which are in large part not supportive of us. Um, but I think I would I would agree, right? Some of my own personal experience. Um, as a Catholic uh, and navigating, right, um, particularly when I was an undergrad at a private Catholic school in New England, figuring out like, where do I fit into this picture and finding, surprisingly, a lot more support from at least local Catholic leadership, even though that's not overwhelmingly the truth. Um, so particularly um, speaking about your podcast, which again, congratulations on your recent award for it. Um, I, I was just blown away by listening to these um, beautiful stories, often tragic stories about folks who lived through the height of the AIDS crisis and saw so many of their friends lost to it. Um, that all while at the intersection of the Catholic church's multifaceted response. Um, what, what did you think about AIDS and the church before you began the podcast? Um, and then what brought you into specifically HIV AIDS um, reporting? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And part of it is I probably didn't think very much of it at all. Um, for some reason, I sort of always knew that there was a combative relationship between sort of activist groups like ACT UP, uh, who famously took on Cardinal John O'Connor of New York in the 1980s, and the institutional church. So that was like always in the back of my mind for some reason. I don't know why or how it got there. And I think what started happening was as I was reporting over the years on the LGBT experience in the Catholic church, I started thinking that this is like the first time that this community has gone through sort of this combative relationship with the institutional church. And as I started to talk to kind of people a little bit older than me, I'm in my mid thirties, so people in their fifties, sixties, seventies, 
They said, actually, that's not true. Uh, let me fill you in a little bit. And part of the challenge, I think, is LGBT people, I think, in general, we have a challenge in learning about our history because we're often not taught it in our families, uh, in our public schools, uh, where I went, and we certainly weren't taught it. Uh, religious ed, we weren't you know, uh, exposed to these right. stories. So it was for me connecting with people a little bit older than me who had stories to share with me. And it was fascinating to hear from some um, LGBT Catholics who were in their 30s and 40s, you know, a few decades ago, saying that they thought it was actually easier in a way to kind of merge those two identities because there wasn't as much pressure. Uh, it wasn't a public conversation in a way like it is today all the time. And it brought my attention to HIV and AIDS because you had this really powerful clash between the two communities because the Catholic Church at the time, especially in places like New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, it was a very powerful political institution and it ran hospitals and it ran social service uh, contracts with cities. And on the other side, you had the LGBT community who was trying desperately to raise awareness about the HIV and AIDS epidemic. And as a result of that dynamic, you had these clashes between the communities. So the ACT UP thing I mentioned earlier. But I also learned that there were a lot of other stories going on, uh, really moving, powerful examples of gay priests doing ministry to uh, gay men their age who were affected by the HIV and AIDS crisis, uh, either sick themselves and providing pastoral care in hospitals or caring for a partner uh, when one of the loved ones died at a young, uh, young age. Uh, nuns, uh, Catholic sisters uh, from, you know, the middle of the country. I'm in Chicago, so just uh, near me who left um, and kind of left their comfort zone and moved to New York to learn about HIV and AIDS care, moved back here and opened HIV and AIDS clinics. Uh, these really powerful examples of LGBT Catholics and allies sort of doing the right thing when I think it's safe to say that most of society turned it back in the early years, uh, kind of going against an institution. It would have been easier to do nothing, but they felt like they had to do something and they described it as living out their faith. And I found that really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I mean, I think that's super critical to to name, right? Where living out Catholic faith um, is living out this ethic of justice, right? That is fundamental, right? To, at least in my opinion, right? Like as a theologian, right? Fundamental to Catholic theology is an ethic of inclusion and, and justice, something where, uh, an ethic where the dignity of every individual um, is affirmed, right? And and I think that's often missed in these these conversations, right? Where we, ignore right the the fundamental teaching of the catholic church is that now that obviously is in um tension with uh some of the other catholic teaching that is not affirming but undergirding all of that is this is this teaching of justice um with all of the the issues facing uh, the lgbtq community why did you feel it was important to um specifically create space of conversations about the aids crisis um and what do you what do you think the value of that is today yeah, I, I think a big part of it was I have been fortunate, I think, because of the, the world I'm in. I know a lot of uh, priests and sisters who are a bit older than me. I had these intergenerational friendships, uh, and I'm really uh, blessed to kind of receive the wisdom from people who have a little bit more life experience than me. And just as a society, I don't think we're very good at that, right? It's hard to connect with people who are a couple decades older or younger than us. And I have found those to be incredibly helpful to me as I navigate life. And basically what I wanted to do, it was kind of a, um, a selfish project. I wanted to spend time getting to know these people better and hearing their stories. And then when uh, America Media, which hosts the Plague podcast, when they gave me the chance to work on this full time, I said, I'm going to try to share these stories with as many people as possible. 
And the, the goal was to give these, uh, the stories of these role models to younger LGBT people trying to find a, uh, a way to navigate life in the church. And I have to say the, the response from listeners to the podcast has blown my mind. It's more than I ever expected. Uh, hundreds of emails, uh, voicemails, and the most meaningful ones to me have been from younger people, um, you know, in their 20s, 30s, who have said that they identify as part of the LGBT community, but they've had a really hard time figuring out how to reconcile that with their faith life. And they feel like the stories of people like David Pace, who's in the first episode, he helped found uh, gay men's health crisis in New York. Uh, he went through a kind of a whole range of emotions. I think a lot of young LGBT people in the church did. He was angry. He was a little bitter, he says. Uh, he left for a while. He came back. And putting those stories out into the world and connecting sort of these people with a lot of stories to tell who maybe haven't been asked to tell them in Catholic spaces yet with the people who need to hear them, that's been a really powerful um, form of ministry, I think, in some ways. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think like personally, like my experience, right, I think that it's twofold, right? Like part of what you named, right? Like the fact that we, in a lot of ways, lack a lot of um, cultural and institutional memory, right, around what happened um, and how folks navigated, right, their, navigated the crisis, but then also navigated these questions about faith and identity, right, in the, the midst of that, again, that multifaceted response from the church, where you have these priests who are um, doing some incredible ministry, you have these nuns who are putting themselves, right, like at risk, and um, because of, like, what the church's response could have been to their ministry, and that being deeply valuable, also in the face of um, the church that, in some places, really shut its doors to folks. Um, but I think also, right, like, I think this helps elevate the fact that, um, a lot of folks think that the HIV AIDS crisis is over, right? Because in, in a lot of ways, right, um, its impact on the white gay community um, has decreased over time, right? But the impact on communities of color in particular um, is still, it's still tragic and it's still significant that we, one, tell these stories and continue to elevate um, what folks are dealing with and, and, and fighting through now as we fight for a cure uh, and we fight to provide the adequate resources for um, black and brown queer folks um, who are most at risk uh, for HIV AIDS. Um, if you think, um, what do you think the most misunderstood part of the Catholic Church's actions during the height of the crisis um, are? And then also, what do, you, what do you see the Catholic Church doing or not doing today? Yeah, I, I think you raise an important point. And we actually uh, end the series with sort of a challenge. Um, if you're listening to these stories and you're part of the Catholic faith community and you belong to a parish that maybe did HIV and AIDS ministry in the 80s and 90s and doesn't today, it was sort of a challenge. Ask why. Why is that the case? Is there a different community that's being affected by HIV and AIDS today? If so, what, what can your parish community do to help? So it, it does raise an important point. Why was the church, which did build a pretty robust HIV and AIDS ministry, why is it not doing as much as it once did? Um, and I think that's a, that's a good question for Catholics everywhere to be asking themselves. Uh, in terms of the question about what, um, what, 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 what I was surprised about, um, mo what do you think is most misunderstood, right? For yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, about the history um, and. So one thing I tried to do in the series was I didn't want to sort of take history and change it and say the church did a wonderful job. It's just misunderstood because there was a lot of uh, pain that Catholic leaders caused a lot of LGBT people who I interviewed from that time. Uh, you know, just one quick example. There was a or there is a national LGBT ministry in the church called Dignity. 
And there's a painful episode where in the 1980s, this is at you know the height of the HIV and AIDS crisis here, uh, because of a letter from uh, the Vatican in Rome, these groups were kicked out of Catholic parishes all over the country. And it caused a lot of pain. It made a lot of people um, who I spoke to leave the church because they just felt that they were under siege and they were kicked out of their spiritual home. And I capture those stories because it's important for us to understand the context against which these really powerful inspirational stories are, are being done. So one thing I want people to take away is that the hurt was very real. Um, if the only thing you knew about the church at this time was that it clashed with the gay community, well, there's a reason for that because the clash was very real. I guess what I tend to focus on just because it's edifying for myself is sort of seeking out those stories where there are individual Catholics who decided to do the right thing during this time. Absolutely. And I think what's also really helpful, like one of the myths that we often face, right, is that it was the Catholic Church versus the LGBTQ community and not realizing right, there are folks like you and I right, that live right at that intersection who are both LGBTQ and Catholic. And these are real lived experiences for us. Right. Like I think one of the most um, powerful things I remember from the first episode was um, someone you interviewed said that we just want to worship. Right. We just want to worship. And there was a sense that the Catholic Church had barred its doors and 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 LGBTQ Catholics could not enter. Right. Um, and I think I struggle with that today. Right. I think right, if I think about my own spiritual life and um, my own Catholicness. Right. I, I struggle with um, the fact that even today there are still obstacles for to me fully participating uh, in Catholic life. Um, and that resonates deeply with me, right? Like, I just want to worship. Um, but beyond that, right, like, I, I think on the other hand, while I'm like, I just want to worship, I just want to feel like I have my place too, like anyone else, any other Catholic, right, is the reality, like what we talked earlier, that at the core of Catholic teaching is this ethic, um, Catholic social teaching, an ethic of justice, uh, of inclusion, of equity, of liberation. Um, and and so I struggle when I look at the ongoing epidemic uh, of violence against the transgender community, um, the escalation of that epidemic of violence, um, as well as the immoral discrimination that's ongoing against LGBTQ students um, and teachers in the Catholic school system, that as much as I just personally want to, I just want my space in a pew, I wanna you know, participate in the sacraments, um, I also wanna see justice, right? I want to see that everyone, not just myself, is included. Um, as you continue your reporting, um, what are you seeing today as some of these issues that affect primarily um, the transgender community or LGBTQ people broadly within the Catholic education system? It's an interesting phenomenon because I've just spent a few years sort of looking at history and then pulling out these stories that were happening against a wider backdrop of injustice. And I feel like today, especially with uh, violence against the trans community, there's a similar dynamic playing out where you have an institution that I think is very uncomfortable with this issue. Uh, there's not a lot of public statements of support. Uh, there's official church uh, pronouncements against um, laws and proposals that would protect this vulnerable community. At the same time, there are examples of people who are doing ministry specific to this community who are providing safe spaces for people to talk and be themselves. So it's again, this dynamic of you want to highlight those stories because you never know a story that goes online could provide hope to a young person who feels like they have no place in the church. But you also don't want to ignore the, the reality of what's going on. So I think there is this dynamic of 
really being careful to elevate the positive stories, but report the truth as well. That's the most important thing, I think. Uh, when it comes to justice issues today, I have interviewed, I'm losing track, but numbers of LGBT teachers who work in Catholic schools who either have been fired uh, because they got married and the marriage was made public, um, either because they posted something, they did something as simple as posted a picture on Instagram, or there was someone in the school community who kind of did an act of revenge to or violence by like letting the school administration know about this marriage. And as a result, they get fired. Uh, and the pain I hear in those stories, it, it's really a lot. Uh, it's a lot that Catholics should know. It, it, it's going on. Um, and there is some uncertainty about how to handle this issue within the institutional church. Um, there does seem to be sort of an acceptance that LGBT people should be accepted in parishes, like you said, like, you know, they're welcome to worship like anyone is. But what about when you get into leadership positions in schools and parishes and Catholic nonprofits? That's where I think uh, the church is struggling right now, both its leaders um, and even I think some well-meaning Catholics who just this is a sort of new issue because we've only had marriage equality in this country for five years now, just the other day. And this wasn't something that the church had to struggle with for the past, you know, 2000 years. So there is this ongoing issue, this tension. And I think as we progress uh, and see more cases coming up, um, how uh, laws will protect LGBT workers, it's something the church will grapple with and I think uh, begin to adjust how it approaches these issues. Absolutely. And I think what I find fascinating, right, like we talked at the at the top of the interview about the the large shift in support for the LGBTQ community amongst lay Catholics. Um, what do you attribute the the divide, right? Like if you have right 75% of Catholics supporting non-discrimination protections, what do you think is keeping, from what you've seen in your reporting, right, uh, Catholic leadership from um, coming in line with what the lay folks are saying? Yeah, I, I mean, that's an excellent question. Uh, something that's probably worthy to be explored in a few books or, <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, the, the reality is, the church's teaching on these issues has not changed, right? Like we have Pope Francis, who for the past five or six years has tries to soften the church's has tries to soften the rhetoric when it comes to LGBT issues. Uh, you know, he's he's known for asking who am I to judge when asked about gay priests. He's met with a number of LGBT Catholics, um, and he's really tried to get the church to focus on other parts of the teaching because this is one part of the church's teaching. But the reality is, nothing has changed, right? The church teaching on these issues remains traditional and remains the same. So on the one hand, it's not surprising that the men who are in charge of the church continue to preach the teaching, because that's what it is. You have the laity um, in this country, especially, that's kind of moving on these issues. And I think that tension will be around for a while, uh, because I, you know, I remember that this is a global church and attitudes uh, in the United States do not reflect attitudes around the world on this issue. Um, there was a Pew report that came out this past week that talked about global issues around uh, sexuality. And it's just the truth that where the church is growing, attitudes are more traditional. So there's gonna be some tension there for a while. And I think the advice I come back to from when I was interviewing people for the podcast, when I asked, you know, how do LGBT people reconcile being in the church today? They said, you just have to stay and fight for your place in the church. And that's kind of, I think, where a lot of LGBT Catholics will be for the next several years. Absolutely. And I think that's a that's a beautiful piece of advice, right? For folks who feel like I can't be here, I can't do this anymore, I, I need to go somewhere else, right? 
Um, I think there's a lot of value in just say, in naming, right? Like feel free to go where you're safe and um, where you feel like you can be your full self without being suffocated, um, without feeling the, that tragic tension, right? Between your, your faith identity and your sexual identity or gender identity. Um, I think, but like you said, for folks who can stay, right? Like who, for folks who really do want to see change, it's the Catholic Church has never been one to move quickly on any issue, right? It's not a fast moving ship. And that's unfortunate, right? When we are talking about um, these real lived tragedies that we're facing as a community. Um, but for folks who like a lot of the people that you interview in your podcast, um, a lot of folks in these other um, in critical issue areas um, have done, right? Like if you can stay and keep fighting, um, that is a ministry that is deeply valuable. And, and I think God honors that. Um, and so I think, I mean, we've the lot we've talked about a lot here, but for the last decade, we've we've witnessed um, a lot of transformation, right? Not just in the numbers, but we have seen on the one hand some horrific tragedies, right? Like I said, the um, escalation of the epidemic of violence uh, against the trans community, the ongoing epidemic, uh, HIV epidemic that impacts Black and Brown communities, the Pulse night uh, nightclub massacre some horrific things that we have seen that have impacted the community on a deep level. And yet on the same, on the other hand, we've also seen some incredible victories, right? The repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Um, we've seen marriage equality. We had the Title VII victory last week. And then particularly in the Catholic Church, you have voices like Father Martin, uh, Father James Martin rising to prominence in support um, of protecting the LGBTQ community from discrimination. You have, like you mentioned, Pope Francis, who has been a more supportive voice, um, not everything we would want, right, but more supportive uh, voice than any pope we've ever had. Um, and so as we look forward, right, in closing to the next, let's say the next decade in our fight for justice, what do you hope to see? And then what do you imagine is possible? Um, yeah, let me tell you a quick story. Uh, there's a church here in Chicago uh, where we attend, we're parishioners there. And, you know, there's a vibrant LGBT uh, community here that the Archdiocese supports. There's a dignity chapter here. Uh, we go to a, a, a small church um, that doesn't have an official LGBT ministry, but uh, something I noticed uh, around Valentine's Day, pastors make a point of blessing married couples. They ask them to kind of stand at the end of mass and then do a little blessing. And this particular priest said, um, the, you know, anyone who's in a relationship and wants to be blessed, uh, have your kind of vows renewed, just stand up, uh, gay, straight, doesn't matter, just stand up and we'll do a blessing. And it was integrated and it felt, uh, you know, no one felt like they were other or that they had to do something special. It was just this one community. And it was a very small thing, but a very powerful gesture. And I think there might be a future like that. We're seeing some bishops around the world, um, in Germany in particular, uh, talking about is there a way for pastors to do blessings of same-sex couples short of marriage. Um, I don't know that you'll find many bishops anywhere in the world who want to change the church's teaching on marriage, but recognizing the pastoral reality has changed and that there are LGBT people who need the kind of pastoral care that uh, heterosexual people have uh, been offered for years and years. So there does seem to be some movement of this that I would say even Pope Francis tends to support acknowledging what's already happening on the ground. And this sort of um, pastoral response to this reality, I think, is already happening here in the United States and around the world. And I think the church is starting to recognize that a little bit more. That's incredible. Well, I want to thank you so much for um, sharing a little bit here. And for folks tuning in, um, down below, there's a scrolling situation. Uh, if you go to americamedia.org slash 
uh, American Magazine, excuse me, .org slash plague. Um, you can get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts um, and hear these incredible stories um, and the incredible work that Michael has done. Um, you can find him on americamagazine.org uh, for all of his other great reporting. Um, and if you text FAITH to 472472, you can get more updates about the work we're doing uh, here at HRC and our Religion Faith Program. Michael, thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to working with you again in the future. Thanks, Michael. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. What you just heard was a conversation I had with Michael Vasquez of the Human Rights Campaign. A big thank you to them for having me on. And thanks to the Catholic Health Association and Mark McDermott and Yuval David, who supported the production of Plague. As always, let me know what you think by connecting with me on Twitter. I'm at Mike O'Loughlin. That's M-I-K-E-O-L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N. Follow me there and you'll be among the first to know about a new book I'm writing based on Plague which is due out next year. And now, as promised, here's a special excerpt from Deliver Us, another podcast series from America Media on the sexual abuse crisis and the Catholic Church. It was a Saturday evening when Father Mike, a priest I'd known my whole life, stood in front of our church and made a shocking confession. Fourteen years ago, he said, I transgressed the boundaries of a teenage boy. I was reminded of this recently when my mom emailed me a list, a list of all the priests in our area who'd been accused of sexually abusing children. I opened the attachment and scrolled down the grid of faces to the one I knew I'd recognize. I will go in a Catholic church only for weddings and funerals. I still have my faith in God. I still have my faith in Jesus Christ. I don't have any faith whatsoever in the institutional church. I do indeed consider myself Catholic. And at the same time, I'm disgusted and frustrated. He molested me. He molested my siblings. And I haven't seen him in 30 years. And so I followed him upstairs to the rectory where he lived, and he closed the door behind me, and my life took a different turn. In the seminary, the attitude was very much, these are some priests from the 50s and 70s that messed up, but it's not really a risk anymore. I think the challenge for Catholics is how do we still be part of, should we still be part of, should we still love this community despite its flaws? From America Media, I'm Maggie Van Dorn, and this is Deliver Us, a podcast about the sex abuse crisis in the Catholic Church and where we go from here. I grew up Catholic, and my faith has always been a big part of my life, and it's been the backbone of my career. I majored in religious studies in college, went to divinity school, taught theology to high schoolers, and have always been really involved in different Catholic ministries. But I've been shaken by this crisis in my community. 
And so in this episode, I'm starting with a question many Catholics are asking. Should I stay or should I go? And if I stay, what next? Hello, this is Maggie Van Dorn, the host of Deliver Us. Thanks for listening to that excerpt from episode one of our podcast. To hear the whole episode and the rest of the series, just go to your podcatcher app and search Deliver Us. Thank you for listening and take care.